Hello and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 17. I'm Alexander. And I'm Jeanette. Let's take a journey together and learn more about writing and story. This episode was recorded in late December 2017. So if we time warp a little bit as we're talking, that's why. Today's topic is how to deal with a lack of support. Take a face of action. That's a drop. Sorry, we still have Star Wars on the brain. (laughs) Although we may mention Star Wars, lack of support is the topic today. And here to discuss this topic with us is author Pippa Bailey. Welcome, Pippa, to the Ninth Story Podcast. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Pippa, since this is the first time our audience has met you, can you tell us and them a little bit more about yourself and your work? Um, okay, so I, I am a, a horror author from England. Um, I tend to write supernatural horror. Um, this is uh, this year's been quite quite an I suppose a big year for me. I've I started writing a couple of years ago and didn't really do anything with it. Um, this year I've had I think five or six stories published in zines and and anthologies and things like that. Um, yeah, it's been been an interesting year. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, so, Pippa, you were featured in this latest Wicked Library podcast Christmas special. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so the story that's in, in the Wicked Library podcast is a story called Oh, Christmas Tree. And I suppose it was a little bit of a, a challenge set to me. I'm, I'm, I'm quite good friends with Nelson, who's the, the narrator. Mm-hmm. And he just out of the blue, he, he likes my stories. He's read most of my stuff. Just contacted me one day and said, um, do you have a Christmas story? Like, uh, no. Can you write me a Christmas story? And I was like, um, sure. How long have I got? And he was like, you've got till this. I mean, this was in October. He was like, you've got till this point in November. I was like, um, well, I'm not doing anything right now. And I just sat there for like five hours and just wrote this thing and edited it. Um, nice. And I had watched the film The Ritual the day before at the cinema. I'd been to see oh, Adam yeah. Neville's Ritual. And uh, my brain was just all in woodland and strange creatures in the woods and ants and that kind of thing. So I went, um, you know, what can I do Christmassy? I didn't want to sort of go with Santa or any of the traditional stuff. I was like, okay, well, let's let's go with a tree. Let's go with something unusual about a tree. And it sort of spawned from there. Um, and I mean, I don't like to pull any punches with stuff. So, I mean, I'm quite happy to kill off my characters, no matter how cute and cuddly they are and whether there's children or old people or whatever. So, um <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I went straight for the sort of the the jugular with this story, but it's it's yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a dark one. I think it fits in quite well on the Wicked Library then. <laughs> mm. I had no idea what to expect because I'd not I'd not heard anything. I knew um, I know a couple of other authors that have uh, been on there before who are absolutely fantastic, like uh, Jessica McHugh mm-hmm. and um, a few others. So I was super excited to get involved. Um, as someone who helps out with the Wicked Library, I'm very glad that your story ended up in our stack. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No, I really loved writing that one. So our big juicy topic today is how can we deal with a lack of support for our choice to be writers from our families and from our friends? So to kind of start to get into that topic... What has your journey been like when pursuing writing as a career as as you get deeper into this? Um, it's been quite hard to be honest. I have not had I've not had a lot of support from my family with 
any of my um, creative choices. So mm-hmm. like my degree in music and um, going into writing, my parents don't like horror. They don't mm-hmm. really like to read anything or do anything that I, I like. And there's a lot of the attitude of we don't want to have to pick up the pieces when you fail. Oh. Um, literally, word for word, unfortunately. Um, oh. So for me, it's been very much a this is what I want to do. I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. So when I had my first piece published, that was the first thing I'd ever written and nobody had read it before I sent it to the publishers. I didn't know. I didn't have any sort of anybody to turn around to and say, Hey, will you let me know what you think? Honestly. Um, so it's been quite a hard journey. It's been very lonely up until sort of midway through this year when all of a sudden people seem to suddenly notice me and within the industry I've had so much support it's it's been amazing. Since you didn't have the support from your family and your immediate surroundings as you got started where online where in person where in the world have you been finding the support in the industry? Um I suppose it it started because I own an independent review company Mm -hmm. um and started out reviewing other people's work and ended up networking because of that, made some fantastic friends. Um, The first kind of people I ended up being friends with were um, sort of the owner of Crystal Lake Publishing and some of the authors there. And um, I suppose I'm quite good at networking, I'm quite good at at making friends, but everybody's just fantastic. So because of the review company, I started looking at other people's stuff. I have a YouTube channel with videos of me reviewing on. Um, And I got to meet people through that. And then I was offered opportunities to write for books because people wanted to see what I could do. Awesome. It turns out I'm not as bad as I thought I was going to be, so that's <laughs> all right. Um, and it's just kind of snowballed from there. People read my first story, loved it, wanted me to write for, for their book, so I'd mm-hmm. give it a go. And um, it was a lot of, it's, it's been a hell of a journey um, because I have dyslexia and I struggle mm-hmm. with sentence structure. So I've had a lot of um help in regard to learning to write better I've got a pile of books now that were recommended to me by a friend um of what to read to get better at writing and the the studying of it and 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 sort of the networking with people who are happy to give you real advice has been fantastic Facebook Facebook is the place to find people awesome (laughs) so out of your stack of books that have been helping you improve your writing which one or two have been the biggest help so far Oh, I would I would say it's more um, particular people. There's a, there's a okay. lady called Rain Hall who you can find on Twitter, Facebook, um, and you can find her books as well. Uh, Rain Hall writes fantastic books um, about all sorts of aspects. So one of the main ones I was looking at was um, it's, uh, literally going through structuring sentences, and she does um, the word loss diary, so uh, or the word loss diet, sorry, um, to help you reduce you know the amount of crap that you're you know reducing a 90,000 word story down to 60,000 good words um so that one's been fantastic anything to do with word loss uh for me because I tend to end up writing in archaic old English where a sentence is back to front and Mm -hmm. has far too many words and that's just something I didn't pick up on before um but yeah Rain Hall definitely is somebody to 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 look at on Twitter and Facebook and and check out her books because they're so so good Awesome. I definitely need to go read some of her stuff because that's something that Alex and I have both been thinking about lately is, okay, we're enjoying writing. We're actually spending more time doing it. How do we actually improve those core foundations? Uh, Yeah, study. Study all the time. Read as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I will never think that I'm good enough. And I kind of think that's the best attitude to have mm. because it means you'll never stop trying to learn something new. You'll never stop trying to improve. And I don't want to be that person that, that gets there in two years time and goes, I'm done. I can do anything. And then finds myself falling on my ass and struggling with my words. And I don't want to be there. I want to keep learning. Yeah. We had some really, um, great people come on that help us learn um how to improve what we're doing and going back to basics as well is always sometimes a a good way to uh kind of find yourself uh we had gail carson levine who wrote ella enchanted on the show and she has a great book called writing magic and it's okay. kind of it's kind of this book she wrote for how she teaches uh she teaches in i think it's in new york yeah, she teaches in upstate New York, but she was teaching um, like high school students and middle school students about writing fantasy stories. And she put this book together based on that specific audience. But because it goes so deep into the foundations and the fundamentals, it's just an amazing book because of that for any level of writer, I think. Brilliant. Um, as I say, other things, um, YouTube. I mean, because I mm -hmm. because of, of my dyslexia and I struggle with sentence structure, a lot of things that don't jump out at me. And I found a, it was just a YouTube video and I can't remember what the lady is that runs it, but it's all like English basics. It's back to looking at sort of punctuation things that you think you remember from school. And then you look at it again and you're like, oh, I've been doing this wrong yeah. for so long. <laughs> mm -hmm. how, how have I not remembered this? How did I not learn this? And that's, that's been really good. So YouTube's fantastic as well for just, just videos on grammar and punctuation. And yeah, really good. And we're actually going to be talking to the folks from the Grammar Girls podcast uh, pretty soon. And Janet likes their podcast because? Because it is exactly like what you just talked about, which is here's just this one thing that you're probably doing wrong. And then they also go into like the history of why the comma goes there, for example. <laughs> yes. So, oh, so it gives you some uh, context. And then I find myself remembering it better because I'll remember the story and then go, oh, that's why I need to put the comma there. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's just some of the things I'm like, oh, looking back at the mistakes from stories you wrote a year ago, and you're like, why? Why did I do that? Why did I think that's where that belonged? <laughs> yeah. But if the it's core just, yeah. story is really good, um, there's always room for improvement. You know, like when you, we, we read the Gail Carson Levine book uh, called Writing Magic, uh, Creating Stories That Fly, um, how she goes about describing how to describe the human experience and how we're always kind of distracted away from the life that ha is happening right in front of us and turning all those things off and kind of silencing those things and allowing yourself to experience life and then describing every little thing that you're doing because if you can describe it well enough, the reader is experiencing it um, as if they are that person. Ah, yeah. No, I, I completely understand that. I mean, I'm, um, I'm a notepad writer. Mm -hmm. I don't I I I have piles of them and I take them everywhere because I'd much rather go somewhere where I'm actually experiencing life and writing it down that way and not sort of distracted by what's on the internet and um it's it's like when you see pictures of people at festivals and nobody's dancing to the music they're busy videoing it on their phone they're mm -hmm. never going to listen back to it the audio is going to be rubbish mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> but they're just not living in the moment enjoying the music you know it's always you see much older people at these events who are just living in the moment. And I think it's a shame that nobody does that anymore. I mean, life's seen through a screen now instead mm -hmm. of, I suppose, just living it. I think as, as I don't know, I hope, I guess is the better word to use. I hope that as time goes by, 
well, I'll be reminded, oh, hey, lift your head up and wow, there's like sunlight out there. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but speaking of seeing the light, that's my mm. terrible segue into what inspired you to become a writer? I, well, to be honest, I, um, <laughs> I had a, I, well, no, I, I, um, I had an accident and it left me unable to walk. And wow. I was stuck on my bed and I needed something to entertain myself. And I've always been, I've always had a, a fantastic imagination. I mean, I used to write things as a child and I never really thought about it as an adult. And I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. And I was stuck on my bed and I just created this fantasy world and spent like three months writing um the world that I was going to create and just started writing. I mean, that book's still not out yet, still in, in still working on it because there's this going to be six books all linked together and it's going to take forever to do. But, wow. um, yeah, I started writing because I couldn't live life anymore. So I was living vicariously through my words. Yeah, that's uh, quite the kickstart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, it really was. It really was. It was yeah, a bit of a shock to the system. I can imagine. And since you have such a daunting task ahead of you with this six book series, um, we did have this lady on recently who was amazing, uh, Libby Hawker, mm -hmm. who wrote um, like, know, something like 36 books in like four years or something oh, like that's that. Insane. Yeah. And she's got this really great book she wrote called uh, Take Off Your Pants, uh, <laughs> plotting your book to better, faster books, something like that, where basically yeah. she kind of uh, helps us as writers uh, focus on writing a really solid outline that that gives us the roadmap to everything we need to do so that it's a little more efficient. And she's also really mm. great at uh, creating things that are very marketable. This is what she does professionally, where she she cranks out a new book every like three weeks. And oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and, but but she, she puts in some really great things in her book that kind of teaches us as writers how to be more efficient and how to think about our writing a little bit differently and how to crank out something that you know right off the bat is going to sell. And that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I need to read her stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you a link to that. No, that's great. Yeah, no, I need to read that. <laughs> Marketability is something I definitely need to look into because I have no idea where this six-book series is going to sit. It's, guys, a real mishmash of stuff. Originally, it was going to be um, probably more towards dark fantasy. It's mm -hmm. now leaning more towards the horror uh, sci-fi side of things cool. there's a bit of everything in there that's awesome but but yeah no it's the, the marketability i have no idea where it's gonna sit mm -hmm. um but it's it's my first love so i want to i'll get it out there eventually but the, i mean the short stories that's just something i've fallen into yeah um just i don't even know how i met some of the the publishers or anything that i work with it just kind of happened um and I've, oh, I've absolutely loved writing short stories ever since it's just been so much fun. So when you write, since we've we've now brought in the subject of pantsing versus plotting, are you a pantser oh, yeah. or a plotter? <laughs> I am a plotter. Oh. I'm very much a plotter. Um, I will find an idea from, it's normally somewhere completely random, but I do have, um, I was given for my birthday a box of note cards. Mm -hmm. And there's probably about 400 note cards in there. And every single one has words on it, both sides. And if I'm trying to come up with an idea, I will flip through that. You know, if I've got a theme, I'll flip through my note cards until I can put something together. So it's my my sort of story box. 
Um, and then from that, I'll start plotting out the ideas. So the latest story I'm working on at the moment um, is is fully plotted. It's uh, bullet pointed everything from start to end. And now it's just filling in the gaps for me. But I do that with every every story. Nice. So yeah, no, I'm a, definitely a plotter. Mm-hmm. Going back to earlier when you had mentioned that you weren't getting the support you needed uh, in this mm. journey, what keeps you going when you're not getting that support? Um, I suppose re- reviews of things that I have done um, have, has really pushed me to do more because I never expected to write a story and have my story be the one picked out of a book or yeah. to have somebody read something I've written and say, yeah, that scared me or mm-hmm. yes, that, that's, that's, you know, that's a horrible, which, you know, is terrible to hear, but, but in a good way, you know, it's, it's horrific. Good. I'm <laughs> glad you, glad you enjoyed it so much. Um, it's, it's little things like that. And it's people that, I mean, I, I put a daily question out every day mm-hmm. and ask something to do with writing or, um, to do with anything to do with sort of that subject matter, because I know there's other people like me who don't get support and who don't get to share their ideas. And so I put out this daily question because it gets people talking, it gets people communicating. Um, it gives me ideas. It gets more people somewhere to, to sort of go with things they want to say. And so that helps me a lot as well because it gets people talking to me about projects daily. So where do you post these questions? Uh, it's on my Facebook page. Nice. Every single morning um, I, I put something up and it's normally bright red. So it's easy to spot. Um, and I get loads of responses on it. It's it's great. It's, it's even getting people like Ramsey Campbell responding to questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, why why are these people caring about what I'm asking? Why do people care about my opinion suddenly? <laughs> um, but it is. It's fantastic. So it's it's finding people that, that, that care about what we're all doing through that is just it makes up for not having had the family support with anything I'm doing. It's, yeah. it's a huge sort of horror community family instead. They're bigger and far more interesting. <laughs> definitely. Oh God, definitely. Yeah, I think I think um, my I think my folks have seen only maybe one movie that I actually worked on. So yeah. yeah. Uh, my parents have never read anything I've written. Um, I think my mom looked at something once and went, "No, no, it's oh. horrible. Don't want to read it." Oh. <laughs> it's so it's a hard. shame. It, yeah. It's it's a shame because it's very. It has always been very much the. I don't want to have to pick up the pieces when you fail rather than if you fail. Um, right. But it's, it's, I think it's harder now because I'm becoming slightly successful. Yeah. <laughs> it's now that, that they've started to notice and care. And it kind of sucks a bit more when they only care when you're successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not there for the whole journey. Yeah. Um, so that's been kind of hard. My best friend who, who I live with, she's been there for the whole journey. She was there when I, when I damaged my back and I had to learn how to walk again. Wow. And she helped me create the independent review company. She's the other half of the review team. Um, nice. and she's, she's just fantastic. And now I live with her, which is awesome as well. <laughs> so we just have our horror house, which is great. Nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I can recall when I finished my, the first feature I worked on and right. I tried to, uh, finally get my family to watch it. You know, it, it's it's it has more adult content in it. So I wait, you know, wait till everybody. You know, I don't think we even had any. We uh, had nieces. Gian, or we uh, had our niece at that point. Okay, I think I think yeah, my our niece was. So like we waited really until young. she was asleep, and then it's yeah. like, okay, let's watch a, a a kung fu movie. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. And we started to watch it, and they just started goofing on it right away, and they just looked oh. really not getting into it at all. 
Yeah. And and after about like 10 minutes, I just had to turn it off. I just really couldn't deal with um, them just mocking this work that I had spent, you know, six months working on. Yeah. It is. It's that. It's that thing. It's like any. It's like anything when you're passionate about it and you really want people to to at least give it their attention. Mm-hmm. So when you, you spot a video that you really enjoy, you're like, "Hey, you have to see this," and you can just tell that they don't care. Yeah. And it sucks. It hurts so much because you're like, you don't understand that. That you know, this may seem like ten minutes of fun to you, but to me, this is something that I'm so passionate about. And yeah. all yeah. I care, you know, all I want is you to at least just look at it, even if you, you it's not your kind of thing. The fact that you've bothered to take the time to not sort of make fun of it and things. Yeah. But yeah, I can imagine that be absolutely heartbreaking to have happen. And I know we did make a web series a while ago and, and my parents saw at least an episode of that. But then my I, my sister has like, I put it on DVD for her and I gave it to <laughs> her because it's like, it's on YouTube. It's free. Like you can watch it like five, Anytime. They're like, they're like five <laughs> minute long episodes. And I'm like, here. And, they, and it's been like years and she's never watched them. And I'm just oh, like, oh, no. And she, she actually likes horror. So it's just like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. For some family members, it's just, you're right. Like, they're not going to notice or care or give any time or attention to what you've been creating until other people validate that it's worth their time. <laughs> yeah. I think, I suppose for me, my, my parents were very, very blunt about mm. stuff. It's like with my, my, my degree in music, I, I majored in music for film, television, games, um, just because I, I've been able to read and write music since I was seven years old. Um, wow. So, I, yeah, no, I learned early. I'm a fast learner. Um, so that was just something I was passionate about. But they were just sort of like, we don't understand it, therefore we are not interested. Uh. Literally that put to me. So I suppose for me, it never felt like I was trying to do anything for them. I was never trying to get their approval anymore mm-hmm. because I knew they didn't care. There was no point in me showing it to them because I wasn't going to get a response that I needed but I suppose for you having done that and you're expecting that support and, and you, you know, whether they like it or not, you're expecting it and then it falls flat and they don't care. It sucks so much. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And uh, so someone who has been supporting you, which is you mentioned him earlier, Nelson Piles from the Wicked yes. Library. <laughs> he yes, speaks he's awesome. so highly of you and he thinks Yay. you are going to be very well known one day. So how do you feel about your own work since you've got at least a few cheerleaders rooting for oh, you. Gosh. <laughs> I have, I think what they, what they refer to it as imposter syndrome. Mm. I'm, I'm sure that it's just a fluke um, that all of a sudden stuff's okay. I'm kind of scared that somebody's going to turn around and go, actually, it's all one big joke. Nobody likes what you've written. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified that's going to happen or I'm terrified I'm going to write something I think is good. Mm-hmm. when I've sort of got the confidence to like my own work and it's going to be like, no, this is awful. Put it away. Um, yeah. I suppose the biggest validation I've had is it's a story that you haven't read because mm-hmm. it's not been released yet. Um, and considering I've only been published since January this year, amazing. I've only been trying to get published since January this year. It made it into the top sort of 25 for Crystal Lake's next book that's out, which is a Tales from the Lake. Um, and I didn't get in. I'd expected to be rejected long before I was, um, but I was so proud of myself to get that far and to get that close to being with a big published company and get my first sort of proper paid release. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm proud of myself for like the first time ever. And it's, it's a weird feeling to be proud of myself and not expect it to be somebody else that's feeling proud of me. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really uh, wonderful feeling. And I definitely 
can empathize with the whole imposter syndrome thing. Oh, yeah. And um, but I am actually super happy with this book I'm writing right now and where it's going. And uh, it's a very personal thing to me. And I'm taking this very personal stuff and real life experiences and mixing it with something uh, supernatural in order to kind of get some distance from it and allow myself to, you know, really almost rewrite a part of my history and, and take some ownership over it. Um, cause it was a, definitely a painful part of my life. So like, I'm really happy where the book is going because, and finally happy where the book is going. And every time I sit down and write now, I'm excited. And I think that's always no, a great, I, that's, I was gonna say, yeah, that's a fantastic way to be, to, yeah. to be excited to sit down and write. It's, it's like when you've got a day job and you can't stand going every day and then you find that one job where you are excited to be there and, and to do everything. It's great. So since we've touched a little bit on your story so far, can you tell our audience a little bit about your story, Nine Ladies Dancing, without giving too much away? Ah, okay. Um, yeah, that's... So, I mean, the book's 12 Days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were each given a letter. I was given Nine Ladies Dancing and sort of... I've had that... Um, I was given that sort of back in March, I think, this year. And a lot of people are like, oh, go do, go do a nightclub scene or burlesque dancing. And every time I saw the title, it just made me think of um, a painting that was on a wall at school, um, which had these ballerinas on it. And it just always fascinated me because it was such an, an obscure painting to have on, on the wall at school. And it was like, any time I heard this, I was like, it's just, it has to be about painting. It has to be about painting. Um, and so I started writing my story about a guy restoring a painting and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And I went, this is too big to be this short story in this book. <laughs> and so that's becoming a novella. Um, awesome. Called uh, called The Soul Press. Um, and so I was like, right, but I still love this concept. So I've written a prequel to it, which is what Nine Ladies Dancing is. is a prequel to this novella that will be out next year, hopefully. Um, and it tells the story of um, what happens when... I suppose the devil leaves a symbol that infects people's minds and uh, convinces them to complete his work. And it's following, uh, eventually follows the story of Jasper and why he's so important to, I suppose, to the completion of his task. I mean, the, I suppose I don't really touch on the the main sort of theme of, of, of what the women are trying to get, mm-hmm. but that will appear in the, uh, the novella. Nice. Um, yeah, I don't want. I don't want to reveal too much because because yeah. there's quite a lot to go with it. But it's um, as most of my stories, it will not end well. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're expanding this story because it's definitely one of the, my favorites from the stories that you shared with us. Ah, brilliant! It, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. It's it's my it's the one that took me longest to write actually, um, just because I was I was I suppose it's a bit weird because it doesn't start with the main character. I mean, he doesn't appear until halfway through the story. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that I was a bit worried about how the publishing company would take that because, you know, you expect to be straight in with the main character and following their story. And this isn't. It's it's it's, it's broken into four pieces almost. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to have the, the sort of the horrific creation of this painting because it was really important to me to sort of see how horrible and evil this item is and how it's not just sort of, you know, oh, his paintings arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, I, I, I want to expand the world. It's very much like a film. I really enjoyed that uh, aspect of it, of how it began. And one thing I noticed about the story, Nine Ladies Dancing, and um, also the other story, In For a Shock, is that they seem to be connected by the town Allenwick. 
Alnwick, yes, they are. And my no novel world is is the same as well. Everything uh, that I write is all connected to the same town, um, and the same world. It all comes from the same world, uh, except for the first story I ever wrote, Scarred. Um, it's the only story that's not connected to the world, but everything leads back to this town where it's a little bit unusual and some strange things happen, and it's all related to um, the novel. And the reasons why you find out when you read the first book of the novel. Um, but all of my short stories are set five years before the novel takes place. Okay. Um, because there's there's a range there's some of them that haven't been released yet, and they feature um, a character whose death is the trigger for the novel series. Mm -hmm. um, so she'll be appearing in some stories that will most likely be out next year, and her name is Jane Hawkwood. Um, but yeah, all, all of my all my stories take place in Alnwick. Now Alnwick is, I think it's it's the name of a real town in England that I've not been to, but it's based on the town where I grew up, um, and the town where I I live now. A combination of the two, because the the town I grew up in is over a thousand years old. It has the the black and white buildings. Um, it has a world famous rose garden. The the town I grew up in is called Albrighton, home of the English roses. Its full title. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, in, in January this year, they found like a, a 700 year Templar cave wow. dug under, you know, it was sort of built under a, a farmer's field. And it's just, you know, all these carvings on the walls and things like that. It's, it's a very unusual little village. Wow. That's really, so that's really where cool. I grew up. Yeah, it's it's that's where I grew up. It's it's fantastic. If you ever seen Hot Fuzz, it's that kind of place. Nice. 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 <laughs> And this is the, the world that you built when you first started writing, correct? When you were yes. not able to walk? Okay. Yeah, yeah, this is the world I built. So one thing that's just brilliant marketing-wise, whether you planned this or not, is the fact that all of these stories connect to your novel beforehand. So everyone who reads the novel is going to go, oh, I need to read all the prequels and buy like nine books. <laughs> exactly. It's, um, yeah, the, I mean, the novel's been ongoing for a long time, and it was actually a suggestion from a friend who has a similar thing with his work. He has um, his shorter stories connect in some ways to the sort of mythos behind all of his stuff. Um, and I started sort of linking my stories into my world and then went into it in a big way and was like, you know what? I'm going to use the same town. <laughs> it's going to be the same town for everything because I, I know this town mm -hmm. and I know how unusual some of the stuff is here in real life and I want to work with that. Um, and I mean... Linking in with my day job, I have a very fascinating day job. So that um, also bleeds into my stories quite a lot and will do certainly with the stories next year. And since you said you created a new character um, that is deaf in your one of your newer stories, um, and, you, and you had a character in the people that, um, in this darkness set, that particular story, that a, a child that had no eyes. Yes. Um, with these characters that are robbed of their senses is there a specific reason why you have these characters that are robbed entirely of a very specific sense um i suppose for me it's it's the idea that you i like to challenge myself more but it's also the concept that you take away one thing and it forces the, the person the character to grow more in other aspects mm -hmm. um but i wanted this this boy to be completely void of any of the color in life that you get. So all he ever knew was the cruelty of his parents. He didn't get to see any of the beauty in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and as somebody who has terrible eyesight myself, I know that I know that feeling. Oh. 
Um, oh God, no, I'd walk into walls if I didn't have my glasses or contact lenses. Um, but I just, I just wanted to go somewhere with it. And um, I mean, the concept for that book was we were to pick a, um, we had to pick a hymn. And the hymn was to, could be anything from any culture, any, any sort of historical world. We, could, we had to pick a hymn. And I was looking for one with a fascinating title and interesting lyrics. And the people that in darkness sat was the one that came to me. And I thought about, you know, people who'd been locked up in a in the storage or something like that. And, um, and I thought, no, what if the darkness is the fact that somebody can't see themselves? And it just kind of bled from there. And, and again, I like to, um, I suppose, go to the worst possible aspects of a character. I don't, I suppose my characters don't really get a lot of redeeming features. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd expect this this boy to turn into, you know, because of all the cruelty and hardship he's been through, he'll turn into a good person. And that's just too unrealistic to me. People are too, um, I suppose once you're just beyond broken, you're never going to be a good person. Mm-hmm. So I tend to write horrible characters. <laughs> <laughs> it seems fitting for horror. Mm. Oh, it works for me. I mean, I, I, I work for a criminal court in my day job. So... Oh. I deal with a lot of interesting characters every day. Yeah, I, I can imagine that would influence the people that you create as well. And that seems very, so different. Very from, much so. That seems so different from the things that you went to study for. It, it is. It is. I kind of just fell into this. Um, I mean, I studied. I, I originally wanted to study forensics. Mm-hmm. I did biology, psychology, and chemistry. And then I realized my maths wasn't good enough. And did I really want to prod at dead bodies for the rest of my life? Um, so instead I was like, well, I, I can write music and I love music. And so I just, I went away and studied that, went to university, got a degree, um, learned to be a composer and a vocalist. So mm-hmm. I, I sing and I write, write all sorts of music. Um, and then I, I came back from university and was like, what am I going to do? It's such a hard business to break into. Um, and then after sort of you know, years of doing crappy jobs and, and random things, this kind of fell into my lap and I was like, this is going to be fascinating to do <laughs> and working with crime. I mean, I, I wear black robes and I wander around courtrooms and swear people in and deal with all sorts of people every day. And it, it's just amazing to see how strange people are and the worlds yeah. that they live in. And I mean, I write supernatural horror, so I never take directly from anything I see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, so my creative side has gone straight into the writing and the sort of intellectual side and then the stuff I was interested in with forensics I get from my job and that just drives me forward because there's nothing stranger than than you know that life is stranger than fiction is it or yeah absolutely the is. <laughs> it's it is I see some of the weirdest things every day and what is your official job title at your job I am a magistrate's criminal court usher that is so fancy. <laughs> it, it is. I, I, I call myself a wizard of justice because I wear the black robe <laughs> and I feel like a wizard and it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's swearing people in and trying desperately not to have them say, I solemnly swear I'm up to no good. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Especially when wandering around in a robe all day. <laughs> oh, God. It's lovely and warm, though, especially in winter because it's freezing nice. here at the moment. But oh. but no, I do, feel, I do feel very fancy at work. It's, it's great because a lot of people that don't go to the courts... Uh, and we're the only people that wear robes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people think you're a judge or something. And it's like, yes, brilliant. People think I'm important. I like this. <laughs> Do you carry a uh, wand in your pocket? 
I do not. Oh, no, I do nice. have I do have a full set of official Harry Potter robes and a wand because nice. I like to cosplay and I'm a massive nerd. <laughs> I have no shame. I walked through Soho in London in those robes to go and see the play when it came out with nice. all my friends who were not in robes and it was just me. I I, I have no shame. I have I just will go anywhere. I don't mind. I've been wandering around in a Chewbacca onesie all week because I'm so excited about Star Wars. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, you know, I have no shame whatsoever. <laughs> I've noticed a theme, especially in your two stories, Nine Ladies Dancing and In for a Shock, that seem to be inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Am I correct in kind of seeing that? Are you also a fan of Lovecraft? I have actually never read anything by Lovecraft. Wow. That's really um, surprising. I've I've never read Lovecraft. And I and I get, uh, this, is, this is like terrible to admit, I've never read anything by Lovecraft, and I've not read anything by Clive Barker since I was about 12 years old. I, I don't get a lot of time to read. I generally just read lots of indie stuff, so it's mm. more likely mm. that it is influenced by Lovecraft, but I don't know it. Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've gained it from reading other indie artists, uh, in, sorry, other indie authors who have read Lovecraft and who have been inspired. So I, I think I'm probably inspired by so many people, including Lovecraft. I just don't know it because I've not read directly. It's all sort of, I've got it sort of filtered down. Um, but what I do know, I mean, I've, I've, I've read sort of graphic novel things with sort of mm -hmm. Cthulhu and um, Dagon, you know, being the, the sort of the forerunner to Cthulhu and stuff. I've seen that and it fascinates me. And I mean, I know like in Infrashock, you know, the creatures are sort of tentacled. And um, I mean, that was more, uh, do you remember those sort of orb things you had as a kid? You put your hand on it and you get the electricity sort of mm -hmm. yeah. sparks out the middle. It was it was imagining one of those, but be it, but that's like the legs of the creature, and it was oh. it's more sort of taken from things I have in my life or things I've seen. Um, and so I like to do things without faces as well because I think that when you can't see an expression of emotion, it's so much scarier and so much more unpredictable oh, yeah, to deal is. with. <laughs> I read emotions a lot. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really quite good with that sort of stuff. So for me, if I was unable to read somebody's emotions, I would find that really scary. Mm -hmm. And I just got into the works of H.P. Lovecraft uh, earlier in 2017, and I found they had like if you can go on Kindle now, you, I got the entire collected works of H.P. Lovecraft, like every single story he's ever written for 99 cents in a collected work. That is insane. Uh, yeah. and, and it was it was just sitting there on Kindle, and I was like, "This is an opportunity for me to start reading some of his work, since I really was uh, seeing all that inspiration of his work and hearing about him constantly, especially this this video game I played when I was in my teens called uh, Eternal Darkness. That was ah, it's hugely got that downstairs. You do awesome. <laughs> Possibly we we have a lot of weird horror games here. Uh, if you have Eternal Darkness and you haven't played it, uh, you're in for a treat. It's a really it, it's it's kind of like. Jeanette never really got big into video games, nope. and uh, other than other than maybe Kirby on the on the Super Nintendo or something. And I sat her down and I I wanted to play Eternal Darkness with her. I said, I really want you to play this with me. I finally got the game again. I used to have it and I got it again. And we sat down and and she really found herself engrossed in it because it feels like. It's like reading a book. It's like reading a book, yeah. <laughs> uh, even though I'm it's... trying to remember if it is. Uh, is it almost like a mafia type thing? Almost. No, no. The guy. Well, no, I'm trying to. We've got another one. They go with a lead guy, kind of, kind of go authentically and a bit strange. Uh, and no. Like eel things come from him. Uh, <laughs> it That's basically awesome. the way it's structured is um, you start off. There's like this murder mystery that happens. This girl's uncle gets murdered in Rhode Island, and so it's set 
where H.P. Lovecraft grew up. Oh, and, and so uh, she has to go back to Rhode Island to help figure out what's going on with her uncle. And she decides to stay in his mansion and uh, try to uncover it. So she wa- you're walking around and you start to find like hidden bookcases and things behind it. And you find this book called The Tome of Eternal Darkness, which is kind of like the Book of the Dead. And it has this history in it of everybody who's ever interacted with the book. And so by her reading the book and then finding the missing pages and reading those things, she gets to live those moments of their lives. And by doing so, learns more about this ominous darkness that wants to, these Lovecraftian type gods that want to mess with humanity and and bring us to our knees. Oh, I really like that concept. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic Yeah, game. no, I really like that. Yeah. And and so I it was really very deeply inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft and I, it stays it stayed with me like it always stayed with me I never it never leaves me it's always with me this this feeling the wanting to play that game and be in that world again because it's so uh, engrossing and and atmospheric and and it, it makes it makes me inspired to write so I was really influenced to want to write horror because of H.P. Lovecraft even though I had never read his works and then when I started reading his works it started greatly influencing how my uh, how my my story crafting and world crafting uh, uh, you know, took took shape. Yeah, I could see. Um, for, for me, it's it's films that have certainly inspired me, and art that's inspired me. Um, but I, I was addicted to uh, Zelda on the N sixty four. Oh yeah, Ocarina of Time. That inspired my majority of love for music, and my degree <laughs> was inspired by Zelda. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I certainly playing games because I, you you've got that whole aspect of you know you watch a movie, you don't have any control over the characters, you don't feel as close to them but when you're playing a game and you're you you become the character you know their actions and, and mistakes and things you do it does feed your imagination um and i've had sort of i played games for hours before and it's sort of it's stuck in your head you try to sleep and you still keep seeing the characters doing actions i mm-hmm. had that with um until dawn that came mm-hmm. out in 2015 mm-hmm. i think so i mean i sat down and played that whole game in eight hours and then i played it again to try and not kill all of my characters <laughs> um and and that just stuck with me i mean that's very if you've not played that game that runs like a movie as well and there's so many different layers to it but it kind of um that feels somewhere between the thing and um, sort of like general slasher movies where you, you can't quite tell what's going to happen. And it's got that sort of um, mm-hmm. that gut-wrenching, oh, I, I can't get this out of my head. I, I want to, to I, want, I wish I could expand on these concepts. And then you do, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, I just love it. Love it. Love gaming. <laughs> <laughs> so we touched on this story a little bit earlier, but can you tell us a little more about your story, the people that in the darkness sat and what inspired it? Um, yeah, so that's inspired by um, a hymn mm-hmm. uh, of the same name. And uh, again, like I said, I, I'd thought about, um, I mean, I loved the title of it. It just it screamed horror to me. And a, a lot of stories have been coming out about people trapped in basements or people buried. And I didn't want to go there with it. So I thought, what would be the ultimate darkness? And I thought, well, what if you couldn't see? So I thought about a blind character. And then I thought, what about somebody with no eyes at all and their darkness and, and then follow, you know, so it starts and I thought, you know, what if I can um, really go with dark and take away somebody's innocence? So I thought I'd start with a child and just pretty much destroy him as, as you do, you know, and um, it follows 
um, little boy as he is struggles with an abusive family, leaves home and is um, at the crossroads of life and death, literally, and is offered a deal from the devil um, and takes the deal. Um, not really, I suppose, being sort of 12 years old, 13 years old in the story, he doesn't quite understand the consequences of his choice. And then it looks, you're looking at it from an adult perspective and the decision he's made and how much the little things that change in your life can sort of, I suppose, make you willing to give up everything. Yeah. So I know that story ends absolutely horribly and I felt so guilty <laughs> with the, the the ending of that story, but I think it, it needed to be that awful. Yeah, it had tones of the uh, the film Frailty. I don't know if you've ever seen that film. Yes, I absolutely love the film Frailty. I think it's absolutely fantastic and not a lot of people have seen it. Yeah. Um, uh, if I'm right, is it Matthew McConaughey? If I remember yes, correctly. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's the it's the that one. I I love the twists to it. That kind of um, that again. I love the reveal in that. It also makes me think of a film which is the called the um, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, not the Visitor. Um, it's got Val Kilmer in. He ends up in a, a, a prison. He hands himself in as a, a murderer, and he slowly kills off all the pl all the police officers in this prison. Um, and I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to find it at some point. But that again is another one of these um, where you sort of underestimate the, the the main character and and what they're really capable of and what they're really required to do. Your story, uh, Scarred, seemed very intimate. Uh, where did the inspiration for that story come from? Um, I have no idea. That I uh, that was a bit of a weird one. My housemate asked me not to write it as well. Oh no. <laughs> um, she's just really unhappy with those kind of subjects. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was working with a, a bizarro crowd at the time, and they were writing a lot of really obscure stories, and I wanted to write about something absolutely terrifying but I didn't want to write about gore I'd never written anything gory before and I didn't really want to go there with it um and so I thought what would be the worst thing being buried alive but actually being able to dig yourself so I mean the majority of the story is really it's basically somebody digging themselves from their own grave and walking through the woods trying to find their way out and it's following flashbacks in her life to how she ended up there and how the lives that we tend to live now are so mediocre. Mm -hmm. We spend every day doing the same job and nothing happens. And it doesn't prepare us for when the worst things in life can happen to us. And when something as horrific as, as what happens to the main character in that. Um, so, I mean, I suppose that's the first thing I ever wrote, like fully. And that's the first thing that I ever had published. Um, and looking back at it now, it could be so much better and there could be so much more to it. But you know, I'll take it for what it is. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm very sort of dis disassociated from the character. I mean, I don't like her at all. She's mm. horrible. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's why I never gave her a name. She has no name. She has no, she has no voice until the last line of the story. Um, it's all really about sort of, I suppose, in a monologue of, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Which definitely is a, a theme. I think all of us have thought through at some yes. point or another. Yes. <laughs> Um, 
but I liked uh, very my first sort of couple of stories I released. They're all very twisty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, uh, like with uh, the people that in darkness sat, you're not expect. I know that you're not expecting that ending because you wouldn't expect the characters to be that horrible. Mm-hmm. Same with Scarred. It's it's the last thing you're expecting, and I did not want to glorify certain things that that unfortunately people do glorify in some stories. I didn't mm-hmm. want to go there with that, but I didn't want her just to be a cliche mm-hmm. fighting back against the enemy. I wanted it to be something different and have her sort of have her own reasons for the decisions she makes. Um, and I mean, I could see that. I could see myself expanding that into more works, but I, mm-hmm. I prefer to stick with supernatural horror than, than I suppose, natural horror. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, there's, there's no magic in that. No, nothing unusual. It's just a horrible way to go. Yeah, just the... The horror of human psychology. (laughs) Yes, very much so. So as it is now, the new year, a lot of people are finding themselves and trying to figure out what to do to make things a little bit better. Starting fresh, making resolutions. Uh, A lot of those end up getting broken or never followed (laughs) up on (laughs) because of things that hold us down or hold us back. So what have you planned for this upcoming year and how do you plan on pushing forward much like, but not exactly like in your character, Scarred? I hopefully not exactly like your character oh, no, in Scarred. No, no, I'm not going to, I, I, I don't think I'm going to kill anybody this year. Oh, okay, good. Um, that's the plan anyway. Um, I, I have told myself that I will do less short stories because my name's out there now. Mm-hmm. People know who I am, which is really quite scary sometimes that people people know who I am and have read my stuff and are contacting me because they've read my stuff is weird um <laughs> it's not something I'm used to at all I, I nobody knew who I was until like midway through last year so it's very weird um I'm I am intending to get my novel finished that's the big thing is to get that finished also the the other project I'm working on is I um I'm making it well with with a friend who's another author who's called Kitty Kane we're making a women in horror calendar Cool. Um, which is going to feature 12 fantastic women from the horror industry, of which I, we haven't released the names of them yet. Um, mm. But it's a fantastic mix um, of UK and American authors. Uh, we have a couple of Bram Stoker winners in there as well, in the mix. Um, so there are some fantastic ladies, and I'm really excited to go for this project. Um, because there's, there's a lot of restrictions in the industry, mm. and certainly when it comes to women as to the way we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to appear. And and I don't like that. And I, don't, I think a lot of people don't. So I have told them to go wild. They, their, their month is their own. They can do anything they want. Um, originally, it was going to be a, a pin-up calendar. And I thought, no, because I don't want to restrict people. So um, it's, we have 12 lovely ladies who are going crazy <laughs> on their months. Um, I think I'm probably going the furthest because... Again, it's it's my idea, so I may as well be the one that bites the bullet and gets the kit off, or uh, as you would say in England, or, or just get, gets naked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Miss July will be naked in the calendar and probably very cold in a pond at some point for the next couple of months as I get the photos taken. Um, <laughs> but it's it's yeah, it's going to be a, a hell of a lot of fun, and we're we're looking at potentially releasing a book alongside um, with art and poetry and stories from all of us from the 12 of us um and from some other fantastic women in horror um and we'll be having a percentage of the profits going to women in horror as well brilliant uh, just to support support that so that's that's all in the works at the moment discussions are still happening as to what we want to do and how we want to fund it um but that's the big project of next year that and my novel 
Well, I think those are fantastic things to work on. And I cannot wait to see this calendar because and, and the accompanying fun. book because it sounds amazing already. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be so much fun to do and potentially embarrassing. But it, I'm sure if you just say new to see people will buy it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. I, I absolutely love any work of fiction that surprises me in, in ways that I didn't expect. Things that really subvert like expectations. Um, hmm. definitely in the new Star Wars film, they do that. Have you said you've seen it? I yet? saw it last night. And there's definitely some very subverted expectations going into that as like, uh, oh, gosh, yes. la mm -hmm. la the last one, uh, the force awakens where they, uh, made it almost a lot of beats from the original Star Wars film. And I was really worried after the crawl, when I saw the very last in the line of the crawl, that it seemed like it was going to be very much beat for beat empire strikes back. And I really didn't want that. No. And I was really glad that they didn't and they subverted so many expectations and it kind of came into its own. So I was really excited about that. So with your works, I'm very excited to continue to delve in everything that you're creating. And, and I love the fact that you subvert expectations and definitely with Scarred, um, definitely huge expectations that subverted. And plus, I had no idea where it was going to go, if it was going to be some sort of uh, supernatural thing or not until we got to the very end of the story. And I'm really excited to see more of your works going forward and how you continue to do subvert expectations. I, I hope I can live up to that expectation. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the ultimate plan with the uh, the novel series is gonna really probably upset people. So yeah, um, I, I really do. I, I I like taking the character that should be the hero or should be good um and you get that in movies where you know you expect the person to learn from their mistakes and become this this you know force for good and they don't because people are fundamentally flawed it's we don't live in a perfect world and i'd much rather write my fiction where the people stay as flawed as they are true to life mm -hmm. but the evil is always something a little bit fantastical i love it I can't um, wait. Finish your book. Yeah, Let's read it. <laughs> I will do. I will. I, I want it to be out in June. It's. It's. I've got sixty thousand words Beautiful. in notebooks, and it's just got to get there. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm really excited to see what people think of it when it's done. It's just right now. It's just a mash of words. So Pippa, thank you so so much for taking time to speak with us today, and I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk to you. Um, yeah. No. Definitely. So where can our audience find more about you and more of your work? Um, you can find me on Instagram, um, which is, again, you'll find me as Pippa Bailey on, on everything. So Instagram, uh, Twitter, it's Pippa with like two underscores Bailey because there's other people with my name and that's not fair. Oh, okay. um, you can find me on uh, Facebook um, under my name. I've got an author page as well, but also the YouTube channel and the the um you the facebook page that links to my ind independent review company is called the ghoul guides nice um so you'll be able to find that as well um so pretty much you'll find me all over the internet even if you just google me my face is like the third one that pops up perfect <laughs> <laughs> well thank you once again for coming on our show pippa this was really really awesome hi it's been fantastic thank you so much for having me <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Pippa Bailey, for being a part of our show today. Help us make 2018 a great year by helping us improve this show. How can you do that, you ask? Why, I'm so glad you asked. You can leave us a rating and review on iTunes so that more people can find us. And 
so we know how to make the show better. Thank you so much to all of our guests in 2017 for making our first year as co-hosts of this show a great one. Seriously, we've learned so much from every single person that's been on the show, and I feel so grateful to those of you who have been listening and to those of you who have reached out and let us know how you feel about the show and what we've been doing. Thank you a thousand times thank you. So I hope you enjoyed today's show and maybe even learned a little something. This has been the Ninth Story Podcast. I'm Alexander. Oh, don't turn off yet. Stay tuned after the commercial break for a poem by me. I'm Jeanette, in case you forgot. Bye, everyone. Bye. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Happy New Year. I feel like it's time for a change. And in order to get that, let's drink the witch's brew. With a wicked grin, the chanting began. I could not move to save myself. The potion's heady scent absorbed my thoughts and held me fast even as pain ripped through my body and soul. That was The Witch's Brew, written by me, Jeanette Andromeda, and you can find that and more poetry, including haikus of horror, every Tuesday on horrormade.com. That is horror, H-O-R-R-O-R, made, M-A-D-E, dot com. Let's make some horror together.